Hello and welcome back to Compass Live, the only and therefore the best live cast dedicated to proof of work mining. Really excited for today's stream. We have two awesome analysts talking about why Bitcoin mining works as an investment thesis. Before we jump into that, I want to welcome Zach Vol to the stream. Thanks, Zach, for jumping on. Yeah, well, thanks for putting this one together. Um, love Brandon and Lily and a lot of their work in the mining space. Um, and it should be a super fun conversation about what I guess is a relatively recently popularized mean in Bitcoin mining um, and definitely an important one. So excited to talk about it a bit. Totally. And I'm glad we got to book them over the holiday. Uh, there's been a lot of people who are offline and it's just... Uh, it's just awesome you guys could make it. So thanks. Um, just to introduce both of you, Brandon Bailey is a mining analyst at Galaxy Digital. Galaxy Digital, of course, is a market maker and crypto bank uh, within the, the larger crypto industry and has a significant mining arm uh, that Compass is actually involved with in a few different ways. I uh, also want to welcome Lily Rhodes to the show, who's a senior mining analyst here at Compass Mining. She just recently penned an awesome uh, article that was uh, featured on Anthony Pompliano's uh, newsletter talking about the ins and outs of Bitcoin mining as an investment, specifically how it pairs against real estate. So thank you both to the show uh, for coming to the show. Uh, how are you doing today, Brandon? Doing well. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Lily, no need to ask how you're doing. I talked to you this morning, so we'll just kind of <laughs> bump right into the rest of the show. <laughs> just yeah, kidding. Actually, doing you good, doing? Guys. you're doing good. Good. I'm doing good. <laughs> cool. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. So something that... Well, just to kind of define it, actually, Brandon, you also recently wrote a really awesome article and like a, a set of evaluations uh, for how to understand the cost of Bitcoin mining, which we're kind of pairing here today. Lily's recent article about Bitcoin mining compared to uh, real estate, and then your article uh, along with Kareem Helmy about how Bitcoin mining can be evaluated on a cost basis. And th the interesting thing that kind of caught my eye within your piece, Brandon, was that there was like this need still to evaluate the cost basis for mining Bitcoin. And we're 13 years into this industry and people are still trying to define how to mine Bitcoin, like what are the costs associated with that? So I want to kick that over to you just to kind of start the show. Why did there need to be more analysis out there on uh, the cost for mining Bitcoin? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the reasons why I felt like it was an important piece to kind of write or have an open conversation about is, is just as there are more and more kind of companies going to, uh, you know, entering the public markets, um, you know, reporting their metrics about their cost of production. I just felt there needed to be more standards for how we're evaluating, or at least how we talk about uh, the cost of production, just so that analysts, uh, whether it be, you know, private investors or, or Wall Street analysts, so we all have an apples to apples way of kind of talking about cost of production. And so we have an apples to apples way of like comparing these companies. And uh, there's a lot of different ways that I've seen companies kind of calculate it in terms of the things that they include into, into that number. And so I wanted to come up with three different ways of really evaluating that metric based on what you would find from a public company's uh, filings. And so the, the first way that, or the first tier of that calculation, I call the marginal uh, cost of production, which is based on cost of revenues divided by Bitcoin mined. So a company's cost of revenue would include things like the pool fee, their cost of electricity, of course. Uh, there might be some other minor expenses that, that could be included in that. Um, but that's sort of that first tranche there that really should provide more insight into uh, a company's cost of electricity or cost of power on a relative basis. 
Then the second tier is what I call total direct costs, which is in, it includes your cost of revenue plus your depreciation expense divided by you know Bitcoin mine. And the reason why we include depreciation expense is because it provides some insight into what these companies are actually paying for their machines, um, which is really important. And, and it is a part of that overall cost of production. I think the only one nuance there to kind of call out is that it's backwards looking. So it does not take into account, you know, future purchase orders uh, for machines. And then lastly is what I call total cost, which just incorporates SGNA or adds that into the equation. But that way you can kind of get a sense for uh, the company's overall cost structure as it relates to payroll and any other kind of administrative or overhead expenses. And then that gives you three different ways that you can kind of evaluate these companies and, and kind of cross compare. Totally. And I, I loved how your piece kind of bridged Bitcoin mining from like a small person's perspective where, you know, I, I might have one or two machines and I can't really scale past that into terms that public filing companies are using where you know they're looking at like their, their total cost line and they're breaking things down all the way from like salary of their employees to the pool fee. Uh, and I think that that's it's pretty useful for a lot of people who are just entering into the Bitcoin mining space and they don't have any of that um, analytical work behind them. And you guys open source that tool even. So we'll link that in the show notes and definitely everyone who's watching or listening on the podcast later, be sure to go check out uh, that open source tool that'll allow you to kind of benchmark what your mining profits could look like using a few different models. Uh, Lily, I want to kick it over to you though. Zach mentioned at the top of the hour, Bitcoin mining and real estate quickly becoming a meme in front of us. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely being pushed on a few different angles, whether that just be like mining companies saying, hey, this is a, like a very clear analogy here in terms of like profits and, and investment strategy, uh, or just Bitcoin miners themselves who are looking at this and saying like, you know, if I, I could mine or I could buy Bitcoin or I could mine Bitcoin and mining Bitcoin has a very similar strategy to real estate investments. So can you kind of walk us through how that started and then through your research, what you kind of found? Yeah, sure. So I guess like what a lot of people fail to understand is like how Bitcoin mining like works and like where the like how the cash flow like where it comes from. So Bitcoin mining machines and real estate rental properties, they're both passive income generating assets that require maintenance. So they also like increase your bottom line as an investor in two ways. So cash flow or asset appreciation. And then both of them, like as cash flow generating assets, they naturally offer the investor some protection against volatility. So like, you know, volatility impacts the total portfolio, but getting that consistent and market relative output from the mining investments makes it an effective hedge. And like with both real estate and uh, mining machines, like you don't have this, uh, you're not seeing the volatility, like you're not having them price daily, like stocks or, or bonds even. So I think that's like, that's important to recognize and knowing that where the, where the alpha is, is that you can mine Bitcoin at a cost significantly below spot price. And if you want to look at it too, like if you're a non KYC kind of person, like you have to look at the cost, like, okay, I can mine this Bitcoin or I'm going to have to be purchasing it not only more expensive, but also with a premium. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of analogies we can kind of pull through this. And uh, to do that, Brandon, I'm, I'm actually super happy to find out that you have a past or a history inside real estate. Uh, and so the analogy there just like probably clicks for you then uh, more so than both Lily, Zach and I. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of, could you take a look at that and say like, what are some similarities between Bitcoin mining and real estate investment? 
And also, I, I think it's fair to say, like, what are some critiques of that model? Is there anything that you say, like, eh, this model doesn't work for a few different reasons? Yeah, I, I mean, I can say candidly, I think there's a lot of similarities. I mean, what ultimately really got me down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin mining was just kind of recognizing how similar um, of a business it is. I mean, it's it's another cash flow driven business um, at the end of the day. Um, so there's there's certainly the similarity there. I think um, where the mining industry and real estate will the real estate industry really start to overlap is when you bring into when you take into account debt um, and seeing sort of the capital markets kind of build out around mining. This ability to um, you know get financing against uh, ASICs. Um, earn a, a stream of revenue that hopefully uh, is in excess of what you're paying on that debt um, makes this a, a really, really attractive business that you can kind of scale up through debt financing over time. And when you think about it, uh, because you know, if you want to go buy a house, like Lily mentions in her article, you know, the average price of a home is about three hundred thousand dollars. You know, something like that. It's something. You know, pretty, pretty, quite expensive. And when you think about all the work that has to go into being a, a landlord, managing a tenant, um, think about the closing costs, just having an agent, uh, property inspection, all of these different things that you you actively have to work for for ultimately what's a lower return on investment. You know, mining. Um, you can you can purchase an ASIC for ten thousand dollars. You can you know earn. You could probably make back your money now in 12 to 18 months. And then anything after that is kind of free cash flow. And now with the the advent of, of debt financing or like the payment plan that you guys are now offering through Compass, there's an ability to put down maybe 10, 20%. And then you can start mining today. And as long as that mining income kind of offsets what you would owe uh, for the debt, um, you know, you're going to ultimately end up making out. Now you can kind of grow a mini portfolio of ASICs or a, of hash rate and kind of scale that up in the same way that you would with, uh, you know, rental properties, which I think is just super compelling. Yeah, I guess that's a really good point there to highlight um, the like the real estate versus mining markets uh, from maybe like a... Um, retail investors perspective, you don't only have like a lower possibility and a longer term ROI window to factor in, but you have like mining may seem complex, but the reality is like getting into real estate investment is a lot more to handle than, you know, just plugging in and managing a small amount of hash rate. Um, and the, the aspect that Lily mentioned on top of all of that is you sort of have like one market for real estate, but in Bitcoin mining, you have sort of like the, the liquid, Bitcoin market that's trading around like 45,000. Then you also have the freshly mined Bitcoin market, those two parallel markets working in tandem. And miners basically buying Bitcoin at a steep discount for a much simpler process than in a much faster, higher ROI than going into real estate. Um, basically, you add all those things to get together and you get the, the sum of like an amazing investment opportunity relative to uh, investing in real estate. Um, and I think like the point of this meme, some things are super easy to meme in Bitcoin. Some things are much more difficult to meme in Bitcoin. But the point of this meme is basically just to highlight that sort of package deal that you would get in uh, if you invest in Bitcoin mining relative to, to other similar investments. Um, I don't know. I'm super bullish on this meme, excited to, to see it continue to grow in popularity and, and notoriety. Yeah, I just wanted to make one comment too. 
is that with, with real estate investing, you have to be more sophisticated. Like you can't just buy any home and expect someone to want to move in or rent it out. And like most of the cash flow from real estate actually comes from the appreciation on the home. So you have to choose like the right market. You have to look at the growth rates. You need to understand the demand of that market. And to do that, you have to put in extra time, but also hire like an agent to help you. And with, with a Bitcoin mining machine, like no matter where you plug it in, it's, it's going to produce the same amount. Totally. Yeah. There's a lot of different trade-offs and Brandon, you kind of uh, sparked my interest, I'd say uh, with something uh, you just said a second ago, which is like the debt financing angle of this. And we do see a lot of public miners have been using capital markets to finance their operations, whether that's issuing new stock or, uh, or, or just, I guess issuing new stock is probably like the general way that most people do it, but there's a few other ways that you can kind of create a market for yourself to be able to purchase more Bitcoin machines. Um, in real estate, obviously, a lot of people just they go and buy a house and they use that cash flow to be able to go buy another house. And before it, you know, you have like a portfolio of real estate investments that are giving you cash and then you can pay those off or, or choose whatever you want to do with them, maybe flip them, like Lily said, for an appreciated value later. The key difference here, though, is that the real estate market is denominated in dollars and the Bitcoin mining industry is still more or less denominated in Bitcoin, which has a much larger price swings when it comes down uh, to looking at your financial modeling. And I'm wondering how far you've kind of thought through that process. If you're, if you're looking at it as a Bitcoin mining as an investment thesis and you're denominating everything in, in Bitcoin, how are you able to scale with debt uh, and not kind of take... Uh, a ton of risk there. And when you've been talking to people about this, how do you approach that subject? Uh, are they aware of it? Are they like frightened of that aspect of it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think at least from the retail perspective, like if I was going to do this personally, the way that I kind of approach it is, you know, you buy a machine and you're going to generate Bitcoin over time as you're kind of assuming that you're you're holding all of the Bitcoin you're mining. What you can then do is take that that Bitcoin, and if you've if you've accumulated enough of it, you could do like a Bitcoin back loan. Now, like you're taking some counterparty risk and doing something like that, but you could use a service like BlockFi or Celsius, take out uh, a very low LTV loan, so like thirty five percent or or whatever it is. Use those proceeds to go buy your next machine. Um, and the reason why I like this is because when you go buy that next machine, once it's you know once it comes online, you think about making sure that you don't get margin called on that loan, um, assuming Bitcoin's value dips. Well, the good thing is you're still you're still generating Bitcoin every day, which helps you kind of de-risk that loan in, event, in, in the event that Bitcoin's price like tanks 50% or something like that. And so you're really just kind of playing this um, like, like debt to assets or debt to equity kind of game and, and making sure that you're being smart and strategic. Uh, around that and just making sure that you're not getting too over levered. So if I was a retail person, that that's kind of that's how I would approach it. At the more institutional level where you have more options available to you in the way of treasury management solutions where you can kind of do things like uh, collar loans where you can effectively lock in a certain Bitcoin price uh, to essentially protect yourself from some of that downside volatility, you give up some of the upside but you protect yourself from the downside. You have, you know, more of these kind of uh, kinds of, you know, financial options that would be available to you that would let you play that game a little bit more strategically. I would say. 
Definitely. And Lily, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Uh, Brandon, I like that you kind of noted the mining finance options that are quickly popping up across the space, whether that's taking out like a Bitcoin back loan for something like BlockFi or even using your machines as a collateral and able to, in, in order to grow your, your operation. I think those are probably the two biggest ways that like a smaller operation can kind of grow right now. Of course, public companies have, have a lot more options. Uh, but Lily, I want to get your perspective on the same question. How do you kind of approach a real estate investor with the same idea from a Bitcoin mining angle? Um, well, I think, you know, real estate markets, they're, they're driven by debt. And I think now what we're seeing by looking at the public uh, mining markets is we're seeing that those markets are also being driven by debt. Like these companies are financing their operations through notes, equity offerings. And I think for, like when I talk to someone who's typically like a real estate bug, I tell them like you should approach this like you do your your properties. You should create an LLC. You should look to the, you know, get the small business association loans. You can get those loans from anywhere from two to 5% now. And when you're mining, like even in a bear market with like a relatively stable Bitcoin price, you can use that loan money to finance your expenses and then sell during the bear markets. Your return will be significantly higher than that two to 5% that you're getting like for the loan. Yeah, I, I did want to just add, like Lily, I know you've done uh, a bit of thinking and writing about uh, financing options specifically for retail miners. And there are, you know, and Brandon touched on a few of them. There are several options. Um, obviously, there is an additional level of risk that comes for a small scale retail mining operation that takes on financing instead of just paying for it outright. But I think the point Brandon made is the key to all of this that sort of like the constant revenue stream. And obviously if you manage the growth of your mining operation, well, uh, it can be like wildly successful, um, to the point of like that, that financing risk being, uh, being minimized and almost non-existent, like very quickly over the lifespan of your mining operation, which we've talked about before closer to the beginning of the show. Um, under current market conditions, like the average ROI period for, for a new mining operation. Um, but, the, those same, like going back to the, the core of this conversation, comparing to like real estate investments, those same financing options um, and just general availability for retail investors looking for some sort of active, profitable investment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just simply don't exist, are much less, are, are much more risky. Um, and yeah, I mean, it doesn't even really compare on many levels. So um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So th there's a few questions in the chat over here on the right. And the main one is about depreciation, which was a key topic uh, within the Galaxy report that Brandon helped pen. Uh, and it's something that Lily also went through. Uh, Brandon, can you kind of walk us through what depreciation means uh, and why miners should be, should be thinking about it and how they should be implementing it for their own mining structure? Sure. So, um, you know, when, when it comes to depreciation, effectively the way to think about it is your machines have a useful life, right? So I would say the typical ASIC machine useful life is three years. I mean, I, I know for, for certain, like for, with the S nines, you know, they're still running, but just as a conservative assumption, you know, I think three years makes sense to use. And so effectively what you need to do is say the value of this machine um, is going to, the value of it is effectively going to reduce by an equal amount over a three-year period. And so the value is essentially zero. You, you basically assume that you can no longer use this machine effectively. Um, but depreciation is, I think it's a benefit when you, when you, if you're going to talk about a retail mining operation, because what it allows you to do is kind of, you can deduct depreciation expense 
from the income that you earn from mining. And so it provides you with a little bit of a tax benefit um, at the at the end of the day. Um, but I think also on, on that topic of depreciation and when you think about useful life for ASICs, I think on a go forward basis or as we look ahead, I think we're going to see the useful life period extend uh, to something more realistic or, or something like in the way of five years, maybe even longer, just with the advent of things like immersion cooling and just the uh, overall better build quality of the machines out there, which I think could also just be interesting from the standpoint of how you think about pricing a lot of these machines. Like currently, ASICs are priced with about a one-year to 18-month payback period. If it starts to become more widely known or at least accepted that ASICs could last for at least three to five years, then you know that could also adjust the pricing or the value that people are paying for these machines as a result. So you could even see a scenario where the pricing of ASICs could increase pretty, pretty meaningfully just, just on account of that. Definitely. Lily, I want to get your thoughts, a quick comment that on the three-year schedule, it is interesting to see how quickly the Bitcoin mining market is changing. And I think you see it within that three-year prediction for depreciation, right? Where if you look at the efficiency of, of an older machine and the output and the terahash output, Three years is probably pretty fair based on the machines that we've seen come out. Like obviously the S9 has performed very well and S9 still make up like yeah. 20% of the network. But there's some other machines like the T17 series, which have had tremendous amount of issues, right? Where it's like their heat sinks or whatnot. And uh, they just like they get killed off the network really quickly. They're not live. They're not happening. Like it's a, it's a great machine if it's working. Uh, but that that's kind of shows you like the immaturity of the market where you're kind of having to to pick a date uh, a value or a depreciation schedule based on some really poor data at this point uh, and it's yeah. that's something I'm looking forward to seeing over the next five ten years is like if if Bitcoin mining is this asset class and these machines are mm -hmm. assets themselves then there's going to be a standardization around what a, a mining machine can do and we'll probably get a better depreciation schedule uh, Lily I want to get your thoughts on the same. Uh, question I lobbed over to Brandon though. Like how okay. do you how did you think about appreciation or depreciation rather uh for, for Bitcoin mining when it came to real estate? Yeah. So I always like I'm I'm a retail miner myself. So I think about everything like in that context. And I think that you know the standard real estate invest like like the standard real estate investor, the retail miner should look at accounting for depreciation based on the most like tax advantaged strategy for them. Like, I think, you know, you have an operation, you're going to run it for a certain amount of time. Like the schedule you use probably doesn't matter to them as much as how much they can save on the Bitcoin that they're generating. So there's like a couple ways you could do this. I know that there's like a section 179 law that lets you deduct the entire purchase of the equipment um, in that same like first year. So you can get like a huge, like a larger tax break in the beginning, depending on the size of your operation. Um you can do the, like the maker schedules. You can do three years or you can do five years. Personally, like the newer machines, I would probably place them maybe close, maybe like four or five year range, just given like looking at the amount of time the S9 has lasted. And if you're an immersion miner, your machines are going to last longer. So you could stretch that depreciation and like put it at that five year mark. Um, and you can even depreciate like hardware related to the ASICs themselves. There's something called the de minimis safe harbor rule. So that lets you depreciate property instead of writing it off as an expense. So if you want to depreciate like 
maybe the container that you're using for your ASICs or like the actual full setup, you could do that as well. Totally. And I love uh, the way you guys are kind of thinking about this and that you guys put the time into creating this analysis because your mining operation is only going to be as good as the time you put into it. And you guys are kind of creating a cheat code for everyone here. A uh, really quick shout out to Texas Blockchain Council as well in the chat and also Seth from Mine Your Biz who's giving Zach a little rub for his mustache. But I think we can all appreciate the stash these days. Uh, I want to jump over to a more mining specific topic, which to me, it didn't seem like either of your reports really like drove into on a, on a very technical level. And I'm kind of curious as to why, and that's mining difficulty. Uh, so whenever I have chats with newbies who are jumping into Bitcoin mining and they're comparing Bitcoin mining as an investment thesis, difficulty is always what they get caught up on. They could, they never can wrap their head around it. They can never understand it and explaining it to them is really tough. And even when you pull out like a brains calculator and say like, just a simple input, put it here. We can't even get that far. It's like too tough. And, and Lily, in your report, you talked about how there's been a constant demand for mining Bitcoin. And uh, you can see that in the network difficulty. And that kind of backs up the idea that Bitcoin isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, I, I may just be forgetting, but I didn't see it a ton in your report as well. I'm wondering how you guys both explain difficulty to people who are looking at Bitcoin mining as an investment thesis. And then a second corollary to that, how do you guys kind of choose to model it? Are you, do you guys create multiple models? Do you guys kind of create a liberal one, a conservative one, one in between? Uh, Lily, I'm going to start with you on that question, just about network difficulty and Bitcoin mining. Okay. Yeah. So like we know that when difficulty goes up, profitability for miners goes down. And the way I'd kind of explain this to newer people is I would say, you know, new Bitcoin has to be injected into the supply and it's injected into the supply every 10 minutes. And that time like must be maintained because that's like part of the scarcity aspect of, of Bitcoin. So basically like if it takes less than 10 minutes, then the difficulty has to go up and vice versa. I don't think this like matters too much for like a smaller, like retail, retail miner, like, cause their, their goal is to just like acquire Bitcoin. You're acquiring Bitcoin, as long as you're doing it and it's still more profitable than buying at spot, I don't think there's a huge issue. But for larger miners who are like competing with each other, like Marathon or Riot, like there these like incremental uh, difficulty adjustments will matter more. Um, and you know, as the hash rate, like hash rate's going to go up no matter what. Like we've mm -hmm. seen that, like we've seen how fast it's recovered from you know China unplugging their miners and. That's not even the Chinese miners coming back online. These are miners from contracts being fulfilled from last year. So I feel like that's not that's not really a terrible ask. Like, okay, sure, you might make less money, mm -hmm. but the network is more secure as a result, and that cash flow is more guaranteed. So I, I kind of like give them that perspective. Interesting. Brandon, I want to say a lot of the same question to you. Probably no need to repeat it because I was a little verbose on the first time, but uh, difficulty, Bitcoin mining and real estate. Yeah, I, I really like Lily's response. I think I try to keep it as simple as possible when it when it comes to explaining like the difficulty or at least network hash rate growth. Um, the way that I like to explain it is it's kind of like it's your piece of the pie at the end of the day, right? It's really lucrative. Like the pie that you currently have is really lucrative, right? And so there are more people that actively want a piece as well. And so as more and more machines come online, you're going to see a diminishing marginal return 
um, for the, the value of that hash rate. But I also think it's kind of important to delineate between um, you know, your, your mining revenue in dollar terms and then your mining revenue in, in Bitcoin terms. Um, because there, there are two strategies, right? Like if you're, if you're a retail miner, um, you're really just focused on most likely just earning in Bitcoin terms. And so I think it's fair to assume that, you know, you're like the, the amount of stats you earn per terahash will always decline over time. Most, most likely, most likely. Um, and, and that's fair, which is also why it's, it's best to try to get machines online as quickly as possible. Um, and just understand that if network hash rate were to go down, you know, you're going to have a larger piece of that pie. So you're going to be able to stack more Bitcoin as a result. Um, and then on the flip side, if you're thinking about this in terms of in, in dollar terms, of course, Bitcoin's price is the real driver, the real driver at the end of the day. So if Bitcoin's price simply outpaces network hash rate growth, you know, you could still continue to make money or a larger amount of money, even if network hash rate is going up. But just kind of thinking about it as like, what's your, you know, percent of that pie overall? That's a that's a great point. I, I did want to basically say exactly what Brandon said. Uh, I think it's, you know, a, a lot of uh, newer retail miners tend to focus on difficulty and like uh, in many ways, appropriately so, like difficulty is a pretty important metric. Um, but, you know, difficulty isn't the, the whole picture there. Uh, and I think, you know, whenever I talk to about mining to new miners or people who are interested in becoming miners, um, you kind of have to look at price and difficulty in tandem, basically exactly why Brandon just explained. Because, you know, if difficulty goes up a lot, but price on a percentage basis outpaces it, you're still making more money than you were a month ago or whatever time frame you're measuring. And similarly, the inverse, if difficulty drops, uh, but the price drops less on a percentage basis than difficulty, you're, you're still more profitable than you were a month ago. Um, and like that's the beauty of the hash price metric that I know a bunch of people at Galaxy and at Luxor and on our team and everyone else is trying to popularize because in my opinion, it's like one of the single most important metrics in properly understanding and maintaining your um, generally dollar denominated Bitcoin mining operation. Um, and so it, focusing only on difficulty really can do you a disservice uh, analysis wise in terms of managing your mining operation. Uh, and I think we've seen that some of the conversations I ha- we've, I'm sure all four of us have had on Twitter, we've seen that over the past uh, six to eight months um, as difficulty went up a lot. Uh, but it, it like almost week over week, every week during that period, price outpaced it and miners were making more money than they were even as difficulty increased a lot. We saw a lot of miners concerned, like, why is difficulty continuing to go up? Is it going to eat to my profits, dollar denominated profits? And that simply wasn't the case uh, because price outpaced it. Um, So tracking hash price and uh, familiarizing yourself with hash price if you're a new miner is probably one of the most important things you can do to understand like what matters and how you should track your profits and mining operation in the state of the mining market and all of those sorts of important questions. Um, but yeah, obviously difficulty is important. It's just also equally important to properly contextualize it with other data, I think. Yeah, that was an awesome little spiel there. We should definitely clip that. Uh, a lot of knowledge drop between the three of you guys. Lily, I, I do just want to like emphasize, I like the the point that you brought up that network difficulty has always been going up and to the right, uh, minus a few hiccups here and there. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty pretty solid way of just thinking about Bitcoin mining as a long term uh, investment thesis. 
you know, if you can look at the past and say like, it's only getting more difficult to mine Bitcoin. And if you're bullish on Bitcoin uh, from a price perspective, just as an asset, then that's only going to uh, increase and continue. And there's probably not as much of a need to continue looking at uh, difficulty as some sort of a determinant if you should be, uh, be mining in the future. One thing I want to turn the stream over to a little bit though, is talking about the hurdles of choosing how to build out a, a Bitcoin mine, uh, specifically for small scale people. So if we're kind of keeping this, uh, this idea alive of Bitcoin mining and real estate investment together, when you are investing in real estate, typically, you know, you're, you're getting like an apartment complex or a condo or, or maybe like a small home and you're flipping that immediately into rental property, get those cash flows. And a lot of times you see people do that redundantly. They, they use those cash flows to buy another property, give them more cash flows, uh, depending on how aggressive someone is, of course. In Bitcoin mining, you see a similar thing where, you know, you have to get your setup. And then once you have your setup, you can start buying ASICs, keep buying more ASICs, buy more purchase power agreements, uh, and then keep scaling from there. So the scaling aspect of both of both of these investments is really, really important. In Bitcoin mining, though, it's a little more difficult to say where you're going to supposed to put that cash for scaling itself. If I'm going to buy, if I'm going to go into apartments for real estate, pretty easy. Say like, hey, I'm going to buy this apartment complex. I'm going to keep buying apartment complexes. Bitcoin mining, you have the power. You have the building, you have to buy service, uh, like workers for the building. Uh, then there's tons of different fees associated with it. If you're uh, trying to manage all the computers and then there's buying ASICs themselves, which is a very uh, speculative and wild market. Um, so I'm wondering from your guys' perspective, where would you emphasize to new people moving into this investment to put savings uh, so that they can scale out a building? And what kind of products would you say to them think about purchasing this in order to help scale your operation. Brandon, I'll start with you. If, uh, and then Lily, we'll move over to you. Interesting. So if you're just to make sure I understand the question. So if you're trying to basically have your own infrastructure for your, your own kind of like at home mining operation. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So hmm, that's a good question. I haven't thought about this a whole lot, but I would uh, put you on the I spot. I mean, you definitely want to try to find low cost of power. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, if I would say you definitely like, depending on what size of operation you want to have, of course. So if you're thinking maybe like a one megawatt operation, you know, what have you, um, you would definitely want to try to find cheap power, like a site that where you can, get access to cheap power. Um, you have to start thinking about maybe things like generators, et cetera. Um, the cost of that, the, the timing to kind of get those things up and running. I think, um, you know, you could, you, you could do a container setup. So there are sort of, uh, some solutions or some options out there that you could take advantage of that, that are kind of plug and play ready. But I think if more so you're a person that's looking to mine out of your own garage, um, I would say probably just making sure that you've got like the right electrical setup, um, making sure that you have enough power um, available in the garage to uh, power however many machines you're looking to potentially plug in there. And then also just making sure that you have a good strategy for um, how to basically vent out the heat that will be generated from those machines and just kind of thinking through that setup from an engineering perspective uh, perspective. So probably starting with um, some a couple of meetings with like an electrician to just understand your setup um, and then 
some type of engineer that could just help you be really strategic about how to cool those machines. I'd probably start there um, just in terms of like research and, and thinking about where to at least invest the money to make sure that I could kind of scale up a mini operation. Love that. Lily, same question to you. If you were going to dump some money into uh, Bitcoin mining and a Bitcoin mining operation and you're a small scale, how would you kind of think about putting these in this uh, these savings into that investment? Yeah, so I agree with what Brandon said. He made a lot of good points. Uh, I guess the main thing is like the infrastructure in your home. Like you have to make sure that electrically, like everything is safe and you have to check the consumption on your machines, like what you expect to put in to make sure that your electrical circuit can support that. Because if you blow that out, like you're never going to break even like because you're going to be fixing, you know, your mess. But I would say that, you know, getting a good electrician in your home, um, contacting your power company, just like try and negotiate power purchase agreements and like, you know, get cheaper power for higher usage. And I think, too, depending on the size of your operation, like you might not be able to run all these at your house. Like you might have to look for like another facility to like put them in. You might have to get, um, you know, more, more equipment from that perspective. And I think too, like having backup equipment is very important. So like, you know, cables, hash boards, fans, because, you know, once your machine goes offline, like you're losing money. And like the time that it takes now because of supply chain problems to get those components and like get your machine back online is probably like at least a few weeks. So I'd say like right when you purchase the machines, just purchase the backup equipment. Like even if you don't end up using it, I think it's worth it for you so that you don't have to deal with delays. I think just adding a little bit on the back end of that for all the reasons, Brandon, or all of the particular considerations that Brandon and Lily described. I think like the most important thing at a higher level is really just to like start with one machine because you have all of these considerations to deal with. And like Lily just explained, more likely than not, your mining operation is going to grow in sort of a tiered or a phased uh, life cycle. And you like, you're really going to have way more on your hands than you probably anticipate if you start with, you know, three, five or 10 or more hopefully not machines, uh, before you bring any one of them online, uh, for the first time, um, start with, if you can get your hands on it and that's nine, uh, or like nothing wrong with, you know, starting with a little bit newer, more expensive machine, uh, but just start with one and then work through, you know, the long list of things that Lily and Brandon just explained that every miner has to consider and manage and think about, um, and then, you know, grow your operation from there. Uh, but, you know, just like people generally get into crypto and Bitcoin by buying a little bit of these digital assets at a time, um, you should probably approach the, uh, mining the same way um, by growing your hash rate in incremental small amounts um, instead of, you know, just diving into the deep end all at once. Um, probably better to manage all these considerations that way. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think another thing to think about, too, is a lot of people when they want to invest, like they want to front a lot of capital, like they don't want to sit here and, and tanker. So I think having that combination of like mining at home because they want that sovereignty, they want that control so they can start with like one or two machines, but also like going with a hosting provider, like while they're learning and they can get that machine online, they can start collecting those rewards. And as they get comfortable at home, they can get those machines shipped to them. So I think that's like a fair, fair. No, that's, that's spot on. Also very tactful compass show there. I appreciate that a lot, (laughs) Uh, but like you're, you're spot on like some money. (laughs) 
<laughs> like mining is super hot right now uh, in terms of like market interest and like historical profitability. And exactly like you said, Lily, a lot of people, you know, in like a red hot market, sitting around tinkering and sort of like slowly gaining exposure isn't, you know, the sexiest strategy. But long term, like if you get into mining, you should like prepare yourself mentally, financially, strategically to be in it for a while. Your machines will last a while. You can grow it for a while. It'll be profitable for a while. And you don't want to, uh, you know, throw too much capital into it all at once before you have a really good idea what you're doing. Nothing wrong with starting small at all. Probably a a better bet than, than other strategies. Yeah, I love the ways sure. that you guys are kind of describing uh, how to build up a Bitcoin mining operation because it is pretty complex. And I think that the uh, the real estate thesis, it doesn't fit here quite as well as uh, some people might think just because there is a lot of considerations when you are, are mining Bitcoin. Uh, PPAs are something you have to think about. You have to think about the machines. You have to think about ordering new machines. You have to think about heat and uh, noise control. These things, like maybe if you have a, a, a loud tenant or something like that, you might have to think about that. But uh, there's definitely some differences between the cost for Bitcoin mining and the costs for uh, real estate, um, even though the payments are quite similar, right? That that cash flow uh, that you get, um, you know, daily for Bitcoin mining or or monthly if you're a, a landlord. I want to kind of keep on the same idea though and think about treasury management. So if you're a landlord and you're getting payments from your tenants, pretty simple. You know, prop. Hopefully, you're a good landlord and put some money back into your building. Often, not that's that's not the case. Uh, but for Bitcoin mining, it's like how do you approach liquidating your treasury and like keeping up maintenance on your machines and choosing uh, to invest more in your stack? Do you do you hodl it or do you not hodl it? Uh, do you take the money out of like your regular salary to put it into your operation? I'm wondering if you guys have any considerations on this. I know that both of your pieces didn't really delve into treasury management, but it is a really important part for anyone who's looking at uh, getting into Bitcoin mining operations on this scale we're talking about. Brandon, I want to throw this to you. And I'm do. I i kind of asking a personal preference question. So I, I will mm-hmm. say I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but curious your thoughts. Yeah, I'm definitely a hodler. Um, you know, for my, my own machines, like I, I want to make sure that I keep every sat that I generate. So the way that I kind of think about it from the perspective of, I guess, scaling up my own operation is really just making sure that I can cover the cost of electricity out of, you know, my paychecks, essentially. Um, so, so that's what I kind of do. When I also think about um, taking on debt, if I want to buy a new machine, kind of always evaluating that, just kind of looking at um, the market. Usually, I like to see, like, if Bitcoin has a nice pullback, like it kind of recently did, Love to check uh, ASIC prices, see if there's there's anybody looking to um, you know sell uh, basically uh, for less as a result. Unfortunately, ASICs um, don't really respond a lot or as quickly to uh, Bitcoin moving down or, or, or Bitcoin price decreases, which is a good thing if you own ASIC machines. They tend to hold their value on the, the way down, but definitely rise pretty quickly on the way up. But um, yeah, just kind of getting back to treasury management. For me, a lot of what I try to do is just make sure that I can cover all expenses out of my my paycheck so that I can hold as much Bitcoin, hold as much Bitcoin as possible. And even when I think about it from the financing perspective, I'm usually trying to pay that back out of paychecks as well. And just, you know, making sure that I have enough cash to clear everything, including all my other expenses as well. 
Awesome. Thanks for the answer. Brad Thompson in the chat is also asking like what percentage of your treasury management uh, would you recommend using for electricity? And uh, especially during a bear market, I think is what he said here. Yeah, crypto winter. So it's kind of an interesting addition to my question. Um, maybe we'll give you a second to think about that. Lily, I want to ask same question to you. How do you think about treasury management when you're being a Bitcoin miner? Yeah, so I like, I'm a hodler too. Like I prefer to like hold as much of the stack as possible. Uh, one thing I've been doing recently, just because of the size of my operation is not very big, is I've been using like interest-free credit cards to pay for the electricity and like any like random expenses I might have. I mean, now like interest rates are so low, like debt is so cheap. Everybody's offering, you know, 0% interest. You can get like small business loans for 2%. You can even get personal loans for like 6%. So you can use these fiat financing options without saying like using leverage to like jeopardize your stack. Oh, I know some people, if, if part, you know, if part of their private um, operation is very like privacy focused, you probably don't want to do that. You want to go for some like maybe DeFi lending where you don't have to use KYC or you just like sell some of your stack on, on BISC and like cover the electricity costs. But I think that in, in a bull market, like you should hold like as much of your stack as possible. Yeah, I did want to jump in there. We've touched on um, like retail minor financing a couple times. Uh, Lily has a great article on it on like the Compass site. But one of the advantages of being a retail miner over maybe being a well, actually, that's not necessarily true. But being like a private institutional miner, I guess, is probably more fair. Is you can you have the option um, of sort of actually like Brandon also said and basically grow your uh, in tandem with your like salary or like normalized income uh, and hold everything that you mine. And so in sort of like an indirect question to uh, or indirect answer to the question about treasury management, like you really, you, it is possible to build your operations such that you don't have to sell anything and you simply finance with a little bit of the, uh, a little debt on the side um, and with basically whatever, uh, cash inflow you can afford um, to continue to grow that operation uh, obviously also accounting for the fact that within like with current market conditions a 12 to 18 month period um, after that everything else is free cash flow and so maybe you can't afford to actually sell a few sats to continue to expand your operation um, there, there's like a hundred ways to metaphorically speaking skin this cat um, it really comes down to like your financial preferences and your goals for like what you want to do with what you mine and how big you want to grow it, how quickly you want to grow it, all these things. Um, so there really is no one size fits all uh, strategy uh, by any means. And there really is no even standardized playbook for this in many aspects of retail mining. Uh, it all depends on your goals and objectives and sort of your risk appetite too. Um, so yeah, that's an indirect question to your or answer to your question, Brad, from the chat. Yeah, that was that was also great, Brandon. I want to go back to you though, and thinking about crypto winter, does any of this kind of change the way that you were thinking about Bitcoin mining as an investment thesis? Do, do things change significantly? And when you're looking at the research report that you put out with Galaxy, how does that modeling change, or or does it model? Do you think that things can kind of still hold up well, uh, even if we we dip really hard? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, just given what current Bitcoin mining margins are, like even today, I mean, margins are probably in like the 70-ish percent range, I, I would guess. So, you know, what that tells you is that Bitcoin's price could, 
you know, drop another 30%. And most, when, it, when you think about the institutional miners, like the publicly traded guys, they would still be profitable. Um, a lot of these guys will be profitable up to as low as six cents uh, revenue per terahash. Um, and you were currently at 24 cents. Um, you know, a lot of what drives that is, you know, your, your overall cost of electricity. In addition, you know, you also like, it's sort of hard to model this out, but, you know, mining is really reflexive, right? And so in a scenario where Bitcoin's price did drop really meaningfully, um, and, you know, as we, as revenue per terahash drops, the more inefficient machines will start to come online. So you think about the S9s and any other uh, kind of machine with a similar efficiency ratio, those machines will start to come offline, which reduces hash rate, which allows the miners below a certain threshold to continue to be profitable or at least earn a certain margin. And so just when you think about how reflexive this, you know, the mining market really is, when you think about changes in Bitcoin price and changes in hash rate, um, you know, it could still be quite profitable to mine even through Bitcoin winter. And in my opinion, you know, if, if Bitcoin were to drop substantially for a sustained period of time, I would be looking to, you know, ape into even more ASICs, assuming, you know, prices adjusted, um, you know, on account. I mean, I think back to like late 2020 when you could have bought an S19 for like 2,500 or three grand and, and how quickly those prices ran up as, as Bitcoin went back into a bull cycle. So, um, you know, just being really smart and strategic about your CapEx cycle timing, I think is, is really important. And, you know, like Warren Buffett says, you know, be, be greedy when others are, feel, are fearful. And so, you know, in those bear markets, I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to, you know, think about how you can start to accumulate, you know, more of these machines or enter a better, better um, either hosting arrangements or find cheaper power as a result. Um, so really just kind of keeping an eye out for those things. Awesome. Yeah, I love the way you're kind of framing that. Uh, so we have about 10 minutes left before we close out the stream. We're going to do some wrap-up questions and then we'll do some wrap-up wrap-up questions, which is like a 30-second fire round for everyone. Uh, the first one I want to ask, though, is about bridging terminology between the traditional finance space and the Bitcoin mining space. Because there is some crossover, if you think about like, Cash flows very similar between the two of them. Uh, maybe like your capex and your opex kind of similar there. But you know, we talked about mining difficulty earlier, and there's not a really a good analogy in the traditional finance space for that. So I'm wondering, from your position, Brandon at Galaxy and Lily, the conversations you've had, uh, maybe writing this research piece, how how is the language changing, and is Wall Street or other people looking at Bitcoin mining and starting to grasp the terminology, or does there need to be like the change in the way we talk about these topics. Uh, Lily, I'll actually throw that one to you since Brandon, you just went, I'll give you a second to think about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, there used to be a lot of like misunderstanding about what Bitcoin mining is, like even whether or not if it was like an actual viable business for cash flow. But I think now, you know, it's, it's necessary for analysts to educate themselves on, you know, what is Bitcoin and like, how does mining work? Like Jeffrey's put out that piece about Bitcoin mining, I thought it was pretty good. You know, they broke down the profitability very nicely. Um, but I do think the main thing is when they're going to start valuing these like public mining companies, they're going to need a way to price the hash rate to value the companies based on their hash rate. Because I don't feel like there's like a solid 
Um, there's not a solid calculation method for that yet. So I still think there's a lot of work to be done on, on, on the valuation end for these companies because it's not, it's not just the machines. Like the hash rate is also an asset. Like it's, it's the, it's a piece of, of the network. Like your, your machine is just the hardware, but the hash rate is what's actually giving you that, that cash flow. I think that might be like, uh, the bigger picture that like Brandon's piece we talked about close to the top of the show fits very well into like, there's just so much to improve on, on the entire like reporting and accounting and analysis of all mining operations, public, private, institutional, and retail. Um, but you know, like you said, Lily, most, uh, importantly on the on the public side um with you know the equity markets paying a lot of attention or relatively speaking a lot of attention to these public mining companies um there's just a lot of variance between how these companies sort of manage and report their operations um and a lot of uh sort of gaps uh to fill um yeah maybe a little too yeah. cynical there but <laughs> just my two cents <laughs> yeah i think Brandon, too, like oh go ahead lily sorry yeah, like there should find a way, like these analysts should find a way to stress test these public mining companies. Because a lot of them, I feel like they've gotten very comfortable and they've levered up a lot. Like last, you know, 2008, uh, 2018, a lot of these public mining companies, I actually went bankrupt during the bear market. They weren't able to pay their debts. So I think having some way to, to test that is really important. You know, it's easy to recommend a mining company now to invest in, but they don't want to leave their investors like, stranded if they're not able to see like are they going to survive the bear markets we're talking when we're talking about bitcoin mining obviously this is very similar to the last question i asked so like what are some kind of common metrics that people should familiarize themselves with if they're getting into bitcoin mining and they're more they're more they're they're used to like more traditional uh metrics out there where would be like the the three key terms people should become familiar with um well they should be looking at how much it costs to mine relative to like their electricity prices. So look at the, um, like the cost without taking into account like the CapEx and the labor. And then they also need to look at um, like their, their like bottom line, like cash flow. So basically like after they subtract all those expenses, um, they see like what they're being left, left with. So like after, after hosting fees, like after pool fees, just like the, the bottom line, like stripped down cash flow. And then they also like should monitor their um, their expenses. So that's um, you know like the electricity and the hosting fees and like mm-hmm. replacement parts. But the thing is, Bitcoin mining is so different from real estate. Real estate has all these like surprise expenses that you have to account for, and Bitcoin mining isn't like that. Like it's very standard. Like you know what you're you know what you're getting like every month. Like you should know. Uh, what your expenses are. So really it's just how much is my upfront cost, like my hardware and uh, setup costs. And then after that, it's like, okay, what's my bottom line cash flow after I pay all my fees. So I, it's, it's pretty standard, like from my, my perspective. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think there, there definitely is some terminology that a lot of people need to learn if they're jumping into the Bitcoin mining market. Uh, but for the most part, it's probably it's like a preset list at this point. Like you said, real estate obviously has like a lot of random things just kind of pop up that you have to pay for like HOA fees or whatnot. Uh, we did lose Brandon here for a second. We'll see if he jumps back in. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll just do some closing questions. Oh, hey, Brandon. 
Hi, can you hear us? Yep. Can you guys hear me? Cool. Cool. Just in time, actually. So I'm going to kick this question back to you again. When you're looking at your purge from Galaxy Digital and the fact that you guys interact with so many different public firms out there and people in the traditional finance space, what is it like having those conversations about Bitcoin mining? Are they really understanding what you're talking about or does there need to be a change in terminology or a way that Bitcoin miners are relating this investment thesis? Uh, then in the day, we all want everyone to mine Bitcoin. So uh, it's important that in some way there's communication that can happen. The way that I think about it is there's still more education that needs to be done, just kind of educating Wall Street analysts and investors alike on, um, I would say, the the terms and the lingo that are applicable to mining. Um, I think that at the end of the day, we want Wall Street analysts and other investors to kind of adopt and understand a lot of the different metrics and um, terms that we use inside the industry. So I think like hash price is one of the best metrics that would would be great to get Wall Street analysts to to really fully understand and kind of embrace, especially when it comes to you know evaluating these different publicly traded mining companies and how we talk about them. Even when we think about certain metrics that are commonly used, such as enterprise value to future hash rate, right? Um, and understanding that you know hash rate that isn't plugged in today um, is really worthless, right? I mean, understanding that there needs to be an appropriate discount factor for future hash rate. Hash rate that's plugged in today is far more valuable than that future hash rate. And so just kind of educating Wall Street about some of these these nuances um, about the industry. Also, to Lily's point um, about debt and uh, as capital markets continue to, to grow and expand and as more of these companies kind of use uh, financing to scale their operations, um, really understanding what percentage of future machine purchase orders are effectively already committed versus you know how many um, you know how much capital is still outstanding for those payments, right? Especially in a, in a scenario where mining conditions decline or or don't improve, um, where you know it becomes harder to raise equity or debt capital to be able to complete those purchase orders, right? Um, those machines that aren't fully committed, you know, there should be an appropriate discount, right? Or you need to be able to uh, effectively evaluate that risk. So I think overall, there's just more education that needs to occur. I think um, part of what we're trying to do is continue to educate Wall Street on um, and other investors on some of these nuances so that they, they can better evaluate and assess the operations of these companies. Totally. Okay. So let's jump into the last part here since we already broke the top of the hour and that's going to be a 30 second speed round. I'm actually going to ask Zach to join both you guys for these questions. Uh, so I ask you a question and I'll forward to one of you guys and you just have to spit out the thing that's on the top of your brain and it's on camera and recorded. So I'm, I apologize if you sound silly later, uh, but we're going to start with network hash rate. Lily, where do you think it's going to be one year from today? Definitely say we're going to hit around like 200 to 250 eat the hash. I mean, demand's not letting up and the machines that are being plugged in are mostly from last year. And Mara just purchased $879 million worth of machines. I mean, there's demand. So, okay, Zach, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not really good at this. I lost a bet earlier this year because I thought <laughs> that we would still be under 150 X a hash by the, by in a couple of days from now. Um, I don't know. I, I, if like my guess is pretty much what Lily said, I agree. Uh, you know, definitely over 200, 250 seems reasonable. 
but above 300 exahash, probably not in 2022. Um, I don't know. Brandon? I, I actually think we'll be above 300 exahash by end of 2022. Nice. Oh, okay. 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 Mega bull here. It's like he works at a firm that gets to see everyone's decks, though. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about states, top three states that are going to be mining Bitcoin next year. Obviously, Texas is number one. So, I'm really asking for two and three. Go reverse order, Brandon. Uh, I'd say Wyoming. Um, and I really like kind of like the Bakken. I don't know. Like, so like North Dakota, like okay. that area, Bakken region. Okay, Zach. Um, yeah, I don't, so Texas probably would definitely be number one next year. And then two and three will probably be, I'm going to list three States and two of them will probably be two and three. I'm just not sure which Oklahoma, New York, and Wyoming will definitely be like Texas, Oklahoma, New York, Wyoming will probably be the top four. Okay. Lily, any contrarian takes? Um, well, I'd say Texas, Wyoming, and then Montana. No one mentioned them, but Mm. they have really good tax laws for uh like large scale miners so they actually let you like save on sales tax for people who are like five million plus mining and then they have like a data center exemption law that lets you like write off more expenses so we'll see interesting interesting uh i see a new mexico shout out in the chat It's a a good place to mine bitcoin uh encompass has a facility there but uh we'll see if it really pops up in the next year or so the other one People on a stream I've been talking about is Kentucky, which also has some interesting tax laws around Bitcoin mining. Okay, last one for today. Percent of the Bitcoin network mining at home in three years from today. Lily, we'll start with you. Well, I'd say right now it's less than a percent, but I hope we see it like two to three percent within the next three years. And I think most of that's going to come from the third world countries because like they have hyperinflation, they're um, they need money. It's already happening in Venezuela. It's happening in Lebanon. I saw it when I was there. So yeah, I think we'll hit that. Awesome. Zach, I would disagree with like it are, it being less than 1% now. Uh, so like when I think about this question, just, I, I mean, I tend to think, cause it's the people I interact with mostly on Twitter, like North Americans mining at home, I guess, but We've had past shows with people, you know, running five, six, a six in some store in Venezuela. I think we're probably like, I'd say maybe max 2% of the network right now is just people mining at home. Um, I could see that getting up to five, definitely not over 10% in the next two years, but probably somewhere between five and maybe 8%. Awesome. I like that. Brandon. Yeah, I would I would love to see five percent. I would say maybe three percent is probably a, a comfortable assumption, but I, I really hope to see more in the way of like home mining plus like like ASIC plus like Bitcoin node kind of like setups or different things like that. Just more options that give uh, people the ability to run their own node and mine Bitcoin at home. I think that would be super awesome. I think you'll see like more solutions out there for retail in the future. Love it. Okay. So we got a full gambit of ideas here. Uh, that's going to be the, the show for us today. I want to thank all three of you guys for jumping on, uh, Lily and Brandon, especially for uh, agreeing to spend some of your holiday time with us. Of course, you can find Lily's great article on compassmining.io. Just hit the learn tab and it's at the top of the page there. Kind of goes through the ins and outs of real estate and Bitcoin mining and how those two investments kind of play together. Also go te- check out Brandon's uh, work with Kareem Helmy. You can find that on the Galaxy 
a digital website. If you just go over to the research tab, we'll also have a few links in the show notes. Uh, an important part of that uh, research piece was a nice calculator that they open source. Uh, you can definitely use it for your own mining setup at home if you're trying to figure out how to kind of model out and project costs uh, going forward. Uh, of course, I want to thank you guys again. I want to thank everyone in the chat for joining us. We had a pretty lively chat today, so it was great to get some questions out of everybody. Please like and subscribe to the stream. It really helps uh, other miners like yourselves get this information in front of them. Uh, experts like Lily and Brandon are few and far between, so we appreciate their time and the fact that you guys come along and watch with us. Uh, from everyone at Compass, want to thank you and have a great uh, rest of the year. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks.